still sing. It's part two of the best of IntelliCast podcast, 2018. Can you believe we made it to a part two? Wow. This is, I guess it's technically episode 40. Oh, lordy, lordy, IntelliCast is 40. Can you believe it? I can't believe we, I can't believe we had enough to fill up two parts of a best of. Right. Is it us reaching, or is it that good? Could we've gone more. Good. Could we've gone more? We could have absolutely gone. Hold we up, need, we need more interns. Hold up. What if next year we do twenty-five podcasts? Yeah. We get done, and then we do a best of starting July first. Right. And we do the best, and we just replay them. We do. A, some people call that a summer hiatus. A lot of people do that. Where like when they come out with the footnotes on like a a paperback version. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Why aren't we doing that? Work less. We work really hard. Work smarter, not harder. We're in this little studio sweating. Yeah. I want you think that when Joseph and Mary were looking for room at an inn <laughs> and like wandering around the little town of Bethlehem, that they thought that one day we'd be the point we had two best of <laughs> podcasts. No, no, absolutely not. Well, let EMI and let Intellicast be your North Star as we lead you to these two next best of interviews. Andrew McKinney. And Katie Gross, two of my favorite people in the world. Me as well. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Got so much from this. Opened up my eyes to a lot of things. Two of our most heavily listened to podcasts of the year as well, as far as traffic goes. Although they could have gotten no listens and it would have been good enough for me. Yes. I loved it. If you've already heard it, listen to it again. Listen to it again. Listen to it enough just for the music. (laughs) Like Andrew yeah. McKinney's music suggestions, and yeah. even Katie like like did some homework and was like yeah. listen in the pot in like a cab the night before or something like yeah. that. But if you have any other insights, if you're looking for anything like uh, if you want to per- perhaps you want to be a part of this, perhaps you want to come onto our podcast and do an interview in the hopes that one day you will be picked, much like Mary was picked to be the vessel for our savior. <laughs> you could. Submit to be interviewed by IntelliCast at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. You can tweet us EMI underscore research on Twitter, Adam Jolly, all one word on Twitter, or IntelliCast1 on Twitter. And we'll be happy to put you on and put you through the riddle roll of doing a Mount Rushmore, a rant, uh, and telling us what type of creepy music you listen to when you're by yourself. Without any further ado, Andrew McKinney and Katie Gross. Joining us now is Andrew McKinney of Lucid. Andrew, thanks for coming on. Hey, guys. Uh, really happy to be here. Thank, thank you both for having me. Well, we usually get started whenever we do these interviews is kind of giving somebody giving us their background. How did they get into market research? Because it's always like an interesting story, like these origin stories. Um, so how did you get into market research? Yeah. So um, I was basically training for the NFL. Um, I just gotten done uh, at SMU, one of the uh, worst football programs at the time in the nation. I think, if not the worst, and uh, we had been beaten. I think we went one and eleven that year. Uh, so I was on scholarship, played running back my senior year under June Jones, which was the worst was and best experience was... of my life. Uh, I was wondering if that was June Jones years. Yeah, yeah. So I was a senior with uh, June Jones. And, uh, and basically he came in and was just like, wow, this is like horrible. You guys have really, really had a tough time and a tough go. And, you know, I'm going to try to help you guys, you know, have a different experience with football. And so, um, it was really cool to kind of finish uh, a really terrible, uh, collegiate career 
on some sort of a high note where I felt like mentored. And I still talk to June today. He's one of my mentors. Amazing, really? amazing person, man. It's probably the best thing I know about football is my high school coaches and then and uh, some of my college coaches. And then also, uh, you know, ha- having the ability to communicate with them is like priceless to me. So long story short, I actually um, transitioned from football and I was training for the NFL with Thomas Morstead from the Saints and this guy named Rich Cody um, and uh, ran into – this tall gentleman, 6'5", uh, beautiful wife and three kids, and uh, I was a bartender. So I was just kind of on the out – like I had just kind of not made it basically for the NFL. Um, so so at that point, I'd given up. I, I got a call from this this UFL um, uh, this UFL team that was like an exploratory NFL, like sub-NFL brand. Yeah. I made the team for like one week, and they kicked me off because the San Francisco 49ers – um, basically took someone that had been in the NFL for two years and hired them. So, um, wow. I had exhausted all my funds. We're about to get married. My wife was just like really annoyed that I just wasted seemingly six months training for nothing. And, uh, honestly, it was just time to kind of get a job. And so I was bartending at this place called Village Burger Bar in Dallas. It's a great place. You should take clients there. Um, <laughs> and Ryan Roth, for anyone that's been in market research very long, this like, Superman looking figure walks to the door and I just said, uh, Hey man, um, you look successful. That's exactly what I told him. I was like, you look, you look, you look, uh, you look like, you know, what's happening in life. And so I said, do you make uh, good money? And he just like laughed at me. He was like, I make great money. I was like, do you like your company? He's like, I love my company. Cause he's working for research now at the time. And I said, Oh cool. Are you hiring? And he was like, what's your name? <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, yeah. Ryan Roth was like my first cold call and uh, I ended up getting the job at research now. And uh, that's how I, that's how I got in the industry. I had no clue what market research was. Of course. That's kind of like universal story that everybody has is like, I had no idea. I had no anticipation to get into market research and here I am. And I love it. Yeah, exactly. And like Ryan, Ryan literally was so gracious as he is. I mean, if you know him right. uh, between research now and Qualtrics, he was like, I like interrupted him. I was like, Hey man, that, that, that time we talked like two minutes ago and I didn't know who you were. Uh, I still need your contact information. And he kind of smiled real big and was like, <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to need to get that. Right. And so, right. uh, yeah, that was it. That was my intro. I interviewed with Ronnie Descupta, um, oh, yeah. for anyone in the industry is, you know, is an amazing person and leader of our industry. And they gave me a, they gave me a job there. So. Wow. That's wild. So, we talked about this beforehand, but I, I wanted to say some, a lot of times we have people from sample companies come on and the thing that why I reached out to you, why I wanted you to come on the podcast is I just feel like you're very unique in kind of your vision of the industry and how you use social media and, and, and really like how you sell yourself. Right. Mm. Um, it means a lot to me to somebody cause I think in sales and I actually wrote a blog about this and, and you were somebody that I thought about at the time is that so many times we are like vanilla as any mm-hmm. kind of salesperson in any type of industry, right? Cause you've got to adapt to whatever type of client that you have. Like you're a different person for your noon call than you had at four o'clock. And the thing that's always been like a breath of fresh air for me is just like some of the things that you share, like the thought leadership that you have. And then sometimes it's inspirational. Sometimes it's like easy to like be self-critical of yourself. And it's always been open to me. And first of all, thank you for that. But I wanted to talk to you and just kind of get your perception. Like, when did you decide to do this? Like, when did you decide <laughs> to be like, 
a totally different type and be like so transparent. Ooh, um, that's a lot. Thank you so much for saying the kind words. And I actually did uh, read your article. I think it was like the art of being the vanilla salesperson. Yeah. 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 So that, that to me, um, I think you really captured the essence of what I hope to be, which is like just authentic and maybe like, maybe just be a little bit more honest about the emotive side of our humanity. And what I mean by that is like, you know, everyone can like smile and, you know, they're happy and everyone puts on a brave face, but like, man, life is super messy. And uh, I've been super humbled in my life in so many ways. Um, I've walked through depression. I have um, just been through some hard times. You know, I've been through some really good times, you know, I've been through some really like the polarity of the ups and downs and it's just made me like, I feel like if you, if you suffer or if you go through something that's hard or if something happens, it, it creates a little bit of margin for empathy and for like love and for, um, you to be able to understand people better. And so I think what you're kind of getting at is like, I just have a lot of passions, man. Like I love music. I was a, a musician for 15 years. Um, I sing, I write music, I uh, performed in Europe and Mexico and all over the U S and then, you know, and, and, uh, Belgium. And I did that. That was like the first half of like my life was a musician and, uh, coming into our industry and just meeting like so many amazing people. I just want people to be real with me. Like I'm real with them. And so the more I met these like industry leaders that we look up to, you know, um, your, your Comers, your, your Andy Ellis's of my, you know, of my company, your Brett's, your Simon Groner's, uh, Joey Z, you know, these people that Joe Z, these people that are in our company now at Lucid. Well, I had that same experience meeting these people at, you know, uh, Kurt Napton was a huge, yeah. huge influence on my life, man. Uh, Ronnie Descupta, uh, Michael Shivers from Research Now, um, uh, Jason Shepard from Research Now, Melanie Courtright. All these yeah. people had such a heavy impact on me because they were successful in what they were doing, but they were authentic to me personally and in, in, in my interaction with them. Dirk Hobgood, uh, you know, uh, Research Now during his time there, you know, mentored me. These people that have, I got to see them in their real life and it just gave me boldness to be authentic. If that makes sense. A hundred percent. And I, I think that's great. And I think that is something like being a real person and using empathy because empathy isn't really a sales tool, but at the same time, it's like the best way to relate to somebody and understand what somebody's objectives are, expectations. And you kind of feel like you're in it with them. Right. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's like a way I feel like just emotion and like, um, like as it, as it relates to cells, like Simon Sinek, um, Molly, Molly, I think her name's Molly McCain or Molly Kane, uh, the author of quiet. Like basically I started getting into like, um, strength finders from the Gallup poll. So like everyone has 34 strengths and then I did like 16 personalities, like the Myers Briggs. Um, and I started studying that the complexity of like how everyone is so unique. And then I started blending that all in with the fact that like, I just really, I, I care a lot about these people. Like we have so many amazing intellectuals in the market research industry. We have so many amazing people, but like, I just like, 
I want to connect with them beyond just selling sample for a particular price on a particular day or selling them what I sell, which is like, you know, for Lucid, which is like API integrations. That's, that's what I do um, at Lucid functionally. And yeah. so like I go out and meet people and like say, Hey, would you like to integrate with us? And this is what we have. You know, we have these, these people, these, these millions of people in our ecosystem that, that are, you know, through other panels that we're connected to, would you like to have access to them? And then they'll go, what? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Or they'll say, yeah, I I would like to, uh, I would like to, I would like to integrate with your APIs, Andrew. And I would say, well, they're not mine. They're lucids, but I have access to them. And then after, like after that's done, then like I, it's really important to me to know like your dog's name and your wife and your kids and like what makes you cry. <laughs> like, right. I just, I just go like the moment, the moment like I connect with someone, I just like, as soon as business is out of the way, I just try to go like as deep as I can. It kind of freaks people out, but it's kind of who I am. So probably at first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we talk about that a lot of here. Like, so we have our, like our value words and like the four things that we always look at and passion's always been a big one. And I've always tried to be like a champion of passion, both internally mm-hmm. and externally. Cause I think it's easy to be it internally. Sometimes it's easy to be externally kind of dependent on your role, but, um, it's awesome. It's awesome to hear somebody else say that. So, um, again, I appreciate all that. And I, I find myself looking forward to some of the things that you're going to share that you're going to write. So I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, man. Keep keep on doing what you're doing, and the, and the things that you know, I got to go through some of your like publications and like your, your your published articles that you wrote on LinkedIn. And man, to me, for someone like having someone that knows what it's like. So I've been in market research for like seven years, and the stories and the people and like you know, you and I know some of the same people, like yeah. you know, the Steve Billingsleys of the world. Like I, yeah. we know the same kind of people, and it, it gives so much context. And so, um, for me, it was like, I felt like when I was listening to your podcast, I listened to a couple episodes with you and Brian, um, this last two weeks. And it was like, man, like this is like ESPN for like market research. <laughs> and it was funny is like when I listen to ESPN, I feel really alienated because I can't really relate to those people. These, these people that make, you know, $50 million and right. they spend it on whatever, but I can relate to, you know, Adam Jolly saying, um, man, this is my experience, you know, for the last 10 years at EMI, um, I'm a better person for it. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be like fiercely honest moving forward. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, I'm with you. like, yeah, I was like that. That's awesome. So, so talk to me a little bit about like where you're at at Lucid now. So you mentioned, you know, you're going and you're trying to integrate with people. Um, what's your day to day like? Like, tell me a little bit what you're doing. Yeah, so I just um, I'm, I work on uh, the team at Lucid. It's called the Platforms Team. Yeah, and so I work with like Simon Groner uh, and Jay Popovich. Which, if you know Jay Popovich and Simon, it's like the fact that I get to like work under them and like support their team is like kind of funny. It's just like wow, <laughs> Lotto, and uh, right. and and basically what we do is like we just go out there, like I said, and find like platforms or any sort of like. Uh, analytics platform or you know anything that like could use a widget or could use some sort of functionality that has access to programmatic sample and then and and just kind of uh see if they're interested in engaging with some of our engineers at lucid um to to build something that gives them access to uh, some automation and you know the economies of a marketplace oh that's that's great so 
so Lucid's always evolving, right? You guys have always been not just like frontiers, like frontiers, but like trailblazers through a lot of things. So, so what's next? I mean, you don't have to share everything, but like, what's yeah. next? What do you, what are you guys moving for? Um, well, you know, I guess I should have said this at like the beginning of it, but like, I don't, I definitely am not like a, a speaker on behalf of the yeah. company in some ways in, in a branding way I am because like I work there. Um, but I, I think that like, you know, between like Comer and Brett and, um, Andy Ellis and the executives and, and Josie and Simon Groner, all these people, um, what, what they keep on telling me, like, as far as where lucid is going is like, just to try to try to keep on, uh, kind of being on the pulse of where, where technology is going and like really studying, um, you know, how the ecosystem is changing. Right. So right. If, you, if you think about Amazon, right. And the marketplace, you got buyers on one side and you got sellers on the other side. Right. Well, where is Amazon going? It's like you have to like kind of pay attention to what's happening in the in the the pipes, if you will, or right. the transactions. Like it's kind of like I think that they get really in the nuance of that. And so um, I know that's like really ambiguous, but it's true. It's like it's real tactical. It's like they're just they're like voracious learners. And so I don't know where they're going, but I'm happy to be on that same train. <laughs> like it's like right. I feel really feel really fortunate um to 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 like just like if i'm on like a like a conference call or or if i'm on like you know just there's so many amazing people um at lucid it's just like i feel lucky to kind of like listen in and for them to tell us like hey this is where you know we, we might be going the next month this right. is where we can see ourselves going the next you know year and and I, I i buy in i'm just like oh that's awesome that's i trust you you know right that's great Brian, want to toss over to you? You get anything? I have one quick question. Um, Andrew, great stuff, though, by the way. Is, um, keep up all that motivational stuff in LinkedIn. It's kind of a refreshing in our industry when most people are just kind of hard selling and pout-touting themselves. I love it, too, by the way. Um, Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Recent news coming out. I'm not sure if you want to talk about it, but like Research Down SSI just announced they're going to be allowing their sample to be purchased programmatically. I know you used to work there. You just mentioned that. And you're currently working at Lucid. But I was – couple things. I was listening to the Jamin Brazil podcast with Patrick Comer, um, mm -hmm. who was great on there. And Jamin said, hey, it sounds like you guys won this whole battle. I mean, Luce, like Adam said, you've kind of been, Luce has been a disruptor. And they kind of started this with routing and programmatic sample and a sample conference, which is very disruptive. But now I feel like the industry has really adopted kind of what you're doing. You're building platforms and connecting all these partners with each other. Um just kind of your thoughts on that, that the industry has evolved so much, even since you've been in the industry, you're relatively new. I just think it's really interesting. I was just talking to uh, some newer members on our team about that. Um, and talking about Lucid was one of the things we were talking about and how it's evolved over time. Yeah. I mean, I think for me personally, just knowing, like, I've known Patrick Comer for a couple of years uh, in the sense of, like, a couple of private conversations and just really trying to learn from, like, the way his mind works a little bit in the sense of like how he makes decisions, how he speaks, uh, you know, Brett and how Brett and Comer both kind of like, uh, speak about the industry to the industry. And then also just how they sell the concept of what lucid is. And so, um, to me personally, I'm, I'm humbled to know the research. Like that's my DNA, right? I came in the industry for five years, 
legitimately learning under your Kurt Naptons and your, your, your Jason Shepherds and your Melanie Courtwrights, these people that gave me their time, um, personally, like actually like sat in a room and said like, Hey, Andrew, uh, man, what you said was really stupid. Or, you know, like Michael Shivers, Michael Shivers spent like five years just basically saying like, Hey man, just listen more than you talk and you're going to do okay. And then every time I wouldn't do that, he would say, you know, he'd say, Hey, you're doing it again. <laughs> right? Radical candor. So yeah. <laughs> I literally was schooled by research now on how to interact with the ecosystem of market research. And so being, you know, leaving research now was, was, was uh, really hard for me because I, I did some other things. Like I went and went on my own. I'm just trying to give some ethos of like my yeah. answer basically. But I went out and did my own thing. I left the business and like all the executives were like, Hey, okay, that sounds okay. But if you ever need to come back, just let us know. <laughs> like yeah. I think they were kind of like, why are you leaving a good thing, you know, research now? Um, and so coming back after that experience where I totally failed at running my own business, I lucid kind of, uh, had an opportunity, uh, through, through, through coming to lucid and then learning what had happened since I left. Right. So, right. so programmatic was new to me. Um, you know, uh, programmatic sample was new to me, the whole concept of an ecosystem and, uh, you know, basically, uh, suppliers and buyers and, and, and this whole thing. So what you're telling me about research now, I actually haven't, um, heard or read that publication, but anything that's programmatic in our industry, anything that's automated, um, anything really that's progressive to the nature of market research to me, it just builds a healthier ecosystem. So like, the more the better. I, right. I, I don't know really the approach research now you're saying that they're, they're going to be taking or what was in the press release. I should probably read up on that. Um, but what I do know is like the ecosystem of market research as it relates to sample, as it relates to digital advertising, as it relates to uh, automation, there's so much room for everyone. And so it's, 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 it's the ecosystem. Like Amazon is only as good as how many people are, are interacting in the system right? The marketplace, like this whole right. place of like where we're, can, where, where, where we get sample from. So for me at first hearing that it's like, great, that's awesome because we need them. We need more, like the more, the better that that's how I look at it. And, and, and I hope that, uh, you know, Patrick and Brett and your Andy Ellis is out there. I hope that that, that would be the answer that they would have, but I can only speak for my just quick off the draw response to like what you just said. And, and that's, that's really my authentic answer. So. I love it. Thank you so much, Andrew. We're going to shift now into more like the fun type of stuff. We'll go into our four P's. Cool, yeah. Um, so let's start off playlist. What are the last three songs you've listened to? Okay. So the last three songs I listened to that I could tell you what they were, were uh, bootstraps uh, replica. I don't know if you're familiar with bootstrap, no. Okay. <laughs> it's, really good, it's a really good song. Like oh, yeah. oh. By the way, Drew Newton was like one of my really good pals from way back. Uh, I think he's still at research now. He's the one that introduced me to bootstraps. So. All right. We'll get it. It's very obscure, but I'm a musician and I, I kind of, I can go in the weeds. I listened to Post Malone. Um, right. Post Malone. What was the song I listened to? Uh, Better Now yeah, by Post Malone. And, um, and then the other one was a, a song called time by David Ramirez. And so those are the three that I could re recite to you. And I also just heard 
David Gray uh, on the radio on the way over here and listen to it. So if you're familiar with that British dude. Um, All in on David Gray. Yeah. I have a question yeah, for Brother. Yeah. Is Post Malone, is he a rapper or a singer? Both. I don't even know. Yeah, he's a, I hardly listen to a rapper. That, I don't think he raps. I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> he's the best non-rapper yeah. rapper there is. Okay. I That's love all. the thought of like Brian just kind of dissecting post Malone like that <laughs> that does my heart well right now um yeah That's so good. i think i think post Malone to me is someone that i think he grew up in grapevine texas he went out to la and then put some you know stuff on his voice and he got really famous but i think i think he's really truly someone that's experienced a lot of pain and like He's just honest, man. He talks about it. Like, yeah. You listen to his lyrics. They're really like sad. Yeah. They're super dark and depressing. And, you know, that song Better Now is kind of about like basically he was doing really bad. He got really famous. And then his girlfriend kind of broke his heart. And so um, I love the beats, too, you know. But, um, yeah, Post Malone's someone that definitely I wouldn't call him a rapper. That's right. That's, <laughs> I think that. I think that that's a very that's a very astute observation, Brian. See, I've been on Post Malone since he came to BET Awards, performed with like a Stone Cold Steve Austin vest, just the vest, no undershirt. I'm mm-hmm. like, get out there, buddy. It's good, dude. Post Malone's awesome, man. And I'm, it makes me happy, Adam, that you know Post Malone, yeah. and also that Brian knows Post Malone enough. To basically be like, no, he's not a <laughs> We're kind of forced to be somewhat hip in this office because we have both Adam, who's obviously really into music and plays music a lot and has done it for a long time and is into music much more so than I am. We have a lot of young people that play a lot of the younger music and talk about it a lot. We talk about music almost all day. Yeah. Oh, wow. That makes there me so a- happy because, like, man, I, I love music. That's like, that's my ethos. That's where I came from is like music for years and years and years. And so, so like Adam, like who do you play music? Who do you listen to? Um, yeah, I play a lot of music. I, I'm in a kind of a weird like country stage right now, like outlaw country stage. So I'm <laughs> like, like Sturgill Tyler Simpson. Ch- yes. Sturgill okay. Simpson. It's weird. Like Sturgill Simpson went to high school, grew up in Kentucky, um, Irvine, Kentucky, went to Woodford County high school. Um, mm-hmm. Tyler Childress, another oh, Kentucky, Kentucky guy. Yeah. Um, I was really into Stapleton. I remember yeah. Ooh, seeing man. Stapleton when I was in college when he was performing at this little like horrible country bar in Lexington before he left for Nashville. And um yeah, those three are like the big like Kentucky we made it outlaw country type. And then like, you know, like a J- Jason Isbell, those type of things. Yeah. Man, Chris Stapleton, um Sergio Simpson, you know, uh Ryan Bingham. You know, yeah. Ryan Bingham. Cody Jinks, that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, any of those things, like, I can only go for so long, you know, because, like, I grew sure. up on country. I'm from Decatur, Tech. I'm from Decatur, Texas. I mean, like, that's literally, that's my, that's, like, my Wise County, Texas is, like, yeah. you know, Stoney LaRue, like, Wade Bowen, my friend, you know, uh, James Morrison, like, all of these yeah. people, they play, like, in Denton, they play in Dallas, they play in Austin, you know, so sure. um, I'm around it, but, but, but really... I think that, uh, man, Chris Stapleton kind of rocked me. I mean, his voice really yeah. just kind of affected me. I'm like, man, that that's a gift, you know? I'm with you, man. Hey, we'll talk about him a little bit more off there. I'll introduce you to Steel Drivers, and it'll blow your mind. <laughs> yes, dude. They're please. like a 
they like won Grammy for like Appalachian music, but they only had like a lead singer for like two albums, and it was Chris Stapleton. It's unbelievable. Oh, that makes sense. That makes um, sense. Next B is Pages. So, um, what books have you read that have inspired you? Business book, fiction, whatever. Ooh, okay. Um, I would say the book that probably rocked me pretty good was this book called uh, Customer for Life. I'll just go, I'll go like market research application sure. book. Um, and it was by Carl Sewell from Sewell Motors in Dallas. If you've ever heard of Sewell Motors, it's kind of a Southern brand. But um, basically that book kind of really like changed the way that I interacted with the situation. Yeah. Like basically, the, I guess the ethos of it or the the summary of of the book was like, hey, you know, when a person buys a car, they just spent like $40,000, right? If okay. you give them an experience that they'll remember, like the essence of the experience was like positive, then you can basically have six cars that you can sell in a life to someone. And so uh, our old quarterback, Jared Romo uh, from SMU was a quarterback from California. He runs uh, Sewell Motors there like in Dallas and he runs um, – the HR part of it and the whole company. And they, someone told me about the book and the, and it really kind of like kind of added a, a lot of value to um, just, the, just how important every interaction is because that person can go to anyone else at any time. And it's like the fr- fragility of the relationship. It's like you can lose someone two seconds just by being rude one time or not being on it. You know what I mean? Right. I'm with you. That's good. So it's good to perform. What is something that people don't know about you? Which, like, you're a hidden talent. Uh, I didn't know you played football. So I'm, it was. Yeah, I think people were shocked to know that I played running back in, in college. I think they're that really kind of sets them off. Like, they're, they're okay with me playing tackle in their minds, you know, or like a center or. But they kind of, like, trip out when, when they're like, you played receiver and running back? Like, what? And so that's that's something that's, like, kind of a. I would say a hidden talent. Um, and then music, you know, like music's basically like all I do, uh, you know, outside of work and, and, and listening, I mean, they're listening to music, playing music or listening to a podcast. But I mean, honestly, music's a big part of like the non-work life. So, man. So last one, we go into our Mount Rushmore, which is people. And you sent this in and you sent over a couple, but I was like, yes, this is it. We've been needing to talk about this. So we have the top four lead singers of bands. So let's start with you, Andrew. What are you for? Okay. So, okay. First of all, I'm going to absolutely in the worst millennial way, offend so many people. So I'm (laughs) sorry for everyone that's hearing this. I'm sorry. So, um, I, I, I think, uh, I might not even be able to give you four. I might be able to give you like a Mount Rush, not even like the whole Rush more, but okay. I would say that, uh, Brandon from Incubus is like yeah. my favorite singer in the world. Okay. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I would say, uh, the, the two people together as one, like co Mount Rushmore, like one part of it would be the civil wars lead singers. Um, I don't even remember their yeah. names. Uh, joy, joy, and something. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, because I don't even know it's because Joy is performing in Lexington next weekend. That's why I was like, hey, maybe I should go. Yeah, you should go if she's seen. And then um, 
the other two people, as far as just like the purity of of the uh, of the voice, is have you heard of Shane and Shane? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So no. Shane and Shane's kind of like more on the the religious spiritual side, but their their voice, like that in general, like I can't really distinguish between the really? two. But whatever that is, is like to me one of the most powerful things I've heard. Um, and then the last lead, I'm, I'm really, I'm really disappointing you guys on this. Cause I'm giving, I'm giving two people for one Mount Rushmore <laughs> spot. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really going on the duo side right now. Um, yeah, that's it for me, man. I, I'll just do three and I'll leave, I'll leave the fourth to the imagination. So what, what are you. your guys? Brian, Thanks. you go. That was the biggest garbage list we've ever had. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, that's so interesting. All right. I went a little more mainstream on mine. So I started with, I'm going to go with, my first was going to be either Steven Tyler or Robert Plant. I'm going to go Robert Plant as my first list. Number two, Freddie Mercury. I'm a huge Queen fan. Ooh, I, that's a I good one. Freddie Mercury yeah, was I, a, I can see that. That's a big yeah, deal. Unbelievable lead singer. Number three, mm-hmm. Prince, because this is the third straight podcast I get to talk about Prince and Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. Um, he, lead, he led the band of the revolution. And then my fourth one, I'm going to go with the female. I'm going to go Stevie Nicks. Ooh. Oh, hey. I saw There's... your paper and I wrote Stevie Nicks down thinking that you weren't going to say Stevie Nicks. Uh I switched it up, I think. I go back and forth. I could have I could have had twenty, probably like you, Andrew. Is Stevie Nicks is, did she do landslide? Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Is this for you, Daddy? <laughs> Adam? <laughs> um I got Randy Owen of Alabama. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. The, That's a good one. I'm done. No, um I put Freddie Mercury, you know, a big queen guy. Yep. Um Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac, and then uh, Charlie Wilson of the Gap Band. <laughs> Did you know we listened to Gap Band for like two, I don't know, two hours the other day while you were gone? Did you seriously? Yeah. Listen to a lot of Gap Band. <sighs> what happens when I'm gone? I feel like when I'm gone, it's just Avid Brothers all we day long. We did funk for four hours. Man. Started off what by about, arguments what about, over Purple Rain and The What about the, the singer of the band? Ooh. See, I thought about going into like... Um, like a Steely Dan type thing, yeah. that type of stuff mm-hmm. too. You could go forever. Oh, um, I'm surprised Fogarty wasn't on the list, right? Yeah, that's good. Anyway, I do have a I do have a really quick Prince story. So love it. My, go. <laughs> so, so basically, my my friend, this guy named Jason, his, his name is Jay Shy, Jay Shy Robinson. Um, we recorded together like nine years ago when I was when I was really into music, and then I didn't see him for like literally like seven like yeah nine years i haven't seen him since like basically college high school time period of my life and so we recorded together at one point and then he kind of went off and like became he he manages david hollister and he he manages all these like kind of r&b artists and prince hired him uh as a sound engineer on his tour and basically at his house when he recorded the last three years before he passed so the, you know, like, you know, like all the things about like where you can't have certain food and Prince's like place, yeah. he's real competitive, like all that, like all that stuff that people yeah. talk about and like, you know, make fun of like Charlie Murphy and, sure. and the Chappelle show, all of that. My friend Jason said is true. Like he was like, really? dude, I brought McDonald's in there and I almost got kicked out and like, <laughs> like really serious, like funny stories about him. But he loved him, man. He loved Prince so much. So that's, that's, that's as deep as I can go on Prince just because like. <laughs> millennials and stuff but right. man 
Yeah. That's going to be a new segment of the podcast. Do you have a print story? I feel like everyone's got one. This is, Dude, I think, Purple Rain. Purple, Purple Rain is a thing, man. I love that song. What is this? Like our 30th podcast, right? Oh, wow. And we've talked about Prince in at least eight. <laughs> it just always comes up. I thought, like, I heard somebody, was it you talking about Morris Day this morning? <laughs> I thought I heard you. Uh, well, thanks so much, Andrew. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, how can people reach out to you? And, um, how can people find out more? Yeah, so I, I would just say, like, my company, you know, lucid, L-U-C.id is the website, which is kind of, it's, it's a little untraditional from the dot coms. And then me personally, um, you know, I would just say on, on LinkedIn, uh, it's, it's like, I think it's LinkedIn backslash, backslash Andrew Joseph McKinney. But um, really just, uh, yeah, on LinkedIn or, or through Lucid uh, directly. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys for having me on and uh, really had fun. Like, I love your podcast. I listened to the one, Kristen Luck, you know, Kristen yeah. Luck's podcast. And then um, just hearing you guys talk about the industry is, like, so fun. So keep on, keep on, keep it on. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Andrew. We'll talk soon. Thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Joining us now is Katie Gross from Scent. Katie, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, so what is your official title at Scent? My official title is Senior Vice President of Sales here at Scent. Oh, this is so great to have another salesperson on the call. <laughs> you just want to make fun of <laughs> exactly. Brian the whole time or try to manipulate him? Let's do it. Yep. <laughs> so, so talk to me, like one of the ways we always start out when we have a guest on is to hear about their origin stories and like, how did you get into market research? Cause a lot of times it's very non-traditional. So, so how did you get into market research? So I, my origin story, um, is that I studied psychology with criminal justice at the university of Plymouth over there in England. And I graduated in the year 2001, which was a really nice year to graduate because it was very much pre-recession. And I actually took some time out and did some charity work over in Kenya for a couple of months because the job market was so great back then. But when I came back, I realized I had pretty much no marketable skills other than SPSS, which I'd used very heavily in my psychology degree. So I had studied research methods 101, 102. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I did really enjoy the kind of survey design element, um, putting together sample breakdowns and so on. So with that said, my only skill set was market research and I joined a CPG company in the UK um, that primarily worked in private label um, products from Italy to the UK grocery stores. And in that role, I was using data from TNS World Panel, IRI, Mintel. I had to maintain a gap analysis database, um, helping to support the sales team to sell more products into the grocery stores and really understand our competitive landscape. Wow. So, so from there, so, so you leave and then how did you get involved with sample sales? Yeah. So from there I joined, um, Mintel originally as a researcher. So I was on the, the research team at Mintel. And so that was my first kind of foray into understanding what, um, sample companies were all about. I remember originally kind of meeting YouGov and it must have been around about 2005 they came to present to Mintel. And um, it's the first time I'd really heard about online sample because traditionally most of um, Mintel's work was either telephone or face-to-face space. Um, That's kind of fascinating. 
And it was also the first time I moved into a sales role as well. So it kind of was a natural fit to move into sales while at Mintel. I had used the data, bought the data, written the data, and it was an easy transition into selling. Um, but I ended up in sample sales uh, kind of due to the recession. So the recession hit and all my CPG clients were buying each other and I just could see it was going to be a difficult time in the syndicated market research world. And so I looked at which part of the industry was rapidly growing and that was going to maybe survive the, the next couple of years. And the online sample world kind of came back into my realm. So I was very lucky to meet a number of people at Toluna. And that's where I first kind of came into the sample sales world in 2008 um, in Toluna when they were still a very small French company. I was the fifth salesperson they had. Wow. Jeez. And so how long have you been at Scent now? So at Scent, I joined a year ago. Um, just coming up for a year now. I Obviously, you can tell from the accent, I'm British, um, but I did move to the USA about seven years ago. So I was with Toluna um, in the USA, took some time out, spent some time in qualitative research um, at a company called Stylus Media Group, which was a refreshing break. It was quite nice not to have to answer emails at night times and weekends. Um, yeah. But I missed it. Yeah. I really missed the kind of fast pace of the sample and market research technology world. Um, and I could see that Synth was doing some amazing things, really kind of driving the industry forward. I was super excited when I got the call um, from, from Jake and um, went from there, really. Yeah, you know, for me... I've been in EMI 12 years and I remember sent from, from the beginning when I first started was, was we always thought of an at like a, um, like a technology type company, just the dashboard and really um, similar to what EMI was doing as far as like trying to find new sources. But I noticed in the last call it two or three years, like the presence of scent has grown just leaps and bounds. And it's not just, internally with how many sources you have and the advancements to technology, but then just awareness, like, um, you know, yeah. forever it was the big three and forest Naples suppliers, but since there now, so, so how have things changed? Like, is it a mindset th- type thing? Like, like what is kind of the, the atmosphere and environment at sit now? Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that because I would agree with you in the UK when I was, um, Working in the UK, Synth is a very large presence. It was very well known, um, particularly for its technology and obviously its Nordic um, uh, right. presence. So it was one of the very top players in the the UK. Um, you're right. Coming to the US seven years ago, Synth was a much smaller presence, but we have come on leaps and bounds in the past couple of years. So we now already have a, a great market presence. I think really what's driven it is that. We've continued to see the adoption of our platform and the technology by more and more marketers and researchers globally. And that's really because we help drive efficiencies within all elements of their sample supply chain and assisting them to get their insights much faster, smarter, et cetera. Right. So, so what's the, what's the, the, uh, like, like what's sorry. the evolution? The evolution, so I think, you know, we, we focus very heavily on um, originally on integrating our supply chain efficiencies through a lot of uh, platform providers, SurveyMonkey, Ask Your Target, target Market, Servata, and so on. And then we, in the past couple of years, have really focused on um, market research agencies themselves and helping them to deliver their results and time to insights much quicker and, and really building efficiency in that uh, sample supply chain. 
Wow. Yeah, that that it's huge, and I guess that's a that's a pivot. I think from when in the past when it was just you just think what writes in front of your face, right? The sample side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely evolved a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. So Katie, I know uh, Brian and I see you at a lot of conferences and. And really, you've kind you've become a kind of a thought leader. And I think a lot of times, like I get flack from being a salesperson that tries to share opinion, and, and you don't shy away from that at all either. And so, um, I wonder, like, how do you further your education? Like, how are you learning more, whether it's about business or research in general or sample? Like, are you reading books? Um, tell me a little bit about your process there. Yeah, so it's a really good question. Um, I'm a huge podcast listener. So, of course, I start with all the market research specific ones, yours very much included, but also the happy market researcher, data gurus, audible insights, and so on. Um, but from there, I really try and kind of hone my craft in reading a lot of books that are kind of related to just research and human behavior in general. So I read a lot of Malcolm Gladwell books. Um, I read a lot of Ben Goldacre books, such as Bad Science, which I highly recommend. It's all about how statistics are being misused. And then I also right. try and kind of hone my craft um, by understanding who our clients are and whether it's the market research agency or their end client and what's driving their needs. So particularly at events, I go to almost every booth I can and ask to see a demo. So I was just at CRC and um, just got back last night and I went to see a lot of companies and just asked, what is it that you do? Show me your product. Show me what you know. What business challenge it is that you're solving. And I am inquisitive and quite curious in that way. Yeah. Um, so that's really helped me develop a, a much wider picture of the market research um, and industry as a whole. Yeah, no, that's huge. And uh, I think I'm kind of the same way. I've been starting to read like more like blogs and like LinkedIn and like opinion pieces on people too. Um, mm-hmm. to learn more, but I'm with you. I, I, I read a ton of Gladwell and, and sometimes it's hard. And, and like you said, with like the, the story of statistics and things like that, it's like hard to connect those type of stories to what we're doing in research, but, um, they help a lot. They just help me think of like a different side of things. Brian. Well, the, really the only question I have for Katie surrounds the British monarchy, but I'll avoid that. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that later if you want but um, I get to do a research rant you're a listener so you know this I'm curious if you have a rant that you want to do either a research related rant a personal rant I know you just went to a conference so I bet you would have a lot of rants just from conferences alone do you, do you want to do a rant? <laughs> I can do yep I'm normally a very positive person so I try not to focus on negativity Um but something that came up at CRC that really got me thinking um, is really about the respondent experience. Um, and I could rant about that for a long time, for sure. But I think it's really, it's not just about survey length, grid questions, the kind of, you know, the dull part of that. I think it's more about reminding ourselves that the respondent is a human being. And often we're not giving them enough indications as to why we've invited them to take part in this research, why it's so valuable. We started using the phrases, you know, our, our respondents' data, and I think we've gotten away from using the kind of softer touch words such as what we're looking for is their feedback. We're looking for their opinion. And I think we should be giving them a lot of kind of signals along the way. We should be reminding ourselves really of some of the the market research um, um, kind of best practice that I was taught while um, whilst I was at university, really around 
giving them a brief. So letting them know what this research is going to be about, guiding them through that research and letting them, giving them a debrief at the end to say thank you. There were some really good examples that came out of, um, came out of CRC. So as we all know, the average survey length now is around about 24 minutes. The average conversion rate is around about 10%. So we know it's already tough. Um, but really what we should be doing is thanking them along the way. So maybe at that 10 minute mark, just having a page that just says, thank you for getting this far. You've given some fantastic feedback. We're really excited to see your answers to the next couple of questions. See you on the other side. Something like that. Um, another example came from a um, financial services company where their CEO had recorded a thank you that was played at the very end of the survey that just said, thank you so much. Our clients' feed, our consumers' feedback is very important to us. Last year, you helped us create four new products and three new services into the marketplace. And we're excited to see your feedback today and where that's going to take us for the next year. Um, and so I think it's it's kind of really important because obviously I've tested hundreds of thousands of survey links in my time. And it's usually just straight in, straight to the demographic questions, straight into the grid questions, straight into the open ends. And then thanks ever so much. You qualify. You'll get your incentive soon. Goodbye. And I just think we just should just treat them with a little bit more care. I, I completely agree. And you, first of all, you said it much more eloquently than I would have said it. Uh, it's not just the accent either, but we, we just have mistreated respondents for so long. That's an awesome rant. Um, I think, I mean, you've tested, obviously you mentioned you tested a lot of survey links in your career. I have as well. I think everybody that's involved in the survey process should have to test that survey. Anybody that works in sampling should be testing surveys because it's just getting worse, especially when we're, we're kind of doing a lot of routing. We're still doing a lot of routing from format to survey and we're asking the same questions over and it doesn't make any sense. And you mentioned we're not thanking them along the way or even telling them what's expected of them. Those are huge ramifications. We've seen that with response rates. Uh, I'm just kind of building onto your rant. What do you, what do you think, Adam? I'm with you. I think a lot of the times it's because we view survey link testing to see like, are we getting the redirect on the technology side? Yeah, and not that's our test. at testing, like, does it make sense? Am I, you know, does respondent comprehend what our dropout type rates, things like that? And like, same thing with soft launches, right? It's like, we do a soft launch, like, hey, looks like our redirects are working. We're getting everything technology together, but we don't look at a lot of time, unless there's like a huge thing, we're like, well, we thought this to be 50% and we're at 5% or, oh, our dropout is crazy or, or something like that. Or are we really getting the people that we want to in order to reach our research objective? Like those are things I think they'll go as like assumptions going into it mm-hmm. when it is kind of the onus, unless you really don't care and you're just like take one project and you never work with somebody again. <laughs> yeah. But like the onus is on the sample supplier to think about something like that and like to, to really help build the relationship. And so that, you know, you can help your client get bigger and ultimately like you could be successful along with them. Right. Yep. And if maybe Katie, you can address this. You, you sort of own a bunch of panels of, with scent. Um, <laughs> um, I don't feel like sample companies push back as much as they could in terms of survey quality and length and the, the abuse that we put them through. Do you, do you get a lot of feedback from your panels on the, in that regard? Um, we do obviously our, Partners um, that come into the platform are incredibly important to us. So we want to ensure um, that they have a fantastic experience in running their panels through our platform um, and that also then their respondents have a good experience. Um, It's a very fine line. Um, First and foremost, we're a technology player. 
So we are certainly not there to guide market research agencies in survey design. But what I have done a few times along the way is suggest that maybe they put up a front page that lets somebody know that maybe there's a video element to the survey coming up and they'll need to put their speaker on or just giving them some pointers along the way. Um, and ultimately, that helps the client and it, it helps our suppliers also. Very good. Good rant. Yeah, that's good. Let's shift into the fun things. Let's go into the four P's. So the first P, Katie, is playlist. So what are the last three songs that you have listened to? So this is funny. So I was at the, uh, the airport last night when I was putting this together. The first one is a crazy one. It is Get Down Tonight by Casey and the Sunshine Man. <laughs> and the reason been... I was listening to that tune okay. is because I listened to your uh, podcast uh, with Bonnie from Disco, and you were talking about disco music. And that's why on that particular day, so it was, what, I guess a week ago, I played that song on my playlist. Um, I love the opening. The opening little skit is fantastic. That's right. I was going to say, I thought maybe you like, you moonlight as like a, a wedding DJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are there, any, any other songs? Sorry, go ahead. Um, any other songs you've been listening to or any type of, what are you like, your favorite artist, anything like that? Yeah. I was listening to um, Could You Be Loved by Bob Marley in the cab right. last night. So when I got back, he was playing a lot of Bob Marley and I absolutely love the song Could You Be Loved. Um, kind of wedding DJ song again. It was my brother's opening song when uh, when he got married last year. And the third one is Childish Gambino. This is America. Um, and I love everything by Childish Gambino. When he was on SNL a couple of months ago, he did a, an amazing, um, amazing performance. And I loved all of his records. You know what? I'm going to hold off on my Childish Gambino love as well. But I do. I love the guy. Like I, I listen to everything that he's, I mean... You look at his three albums are so different from each other. Um, He's a genius. I'm with you. Let's yeah. let's quick pause. Katie, do you have any print stories? <laughs> print stories. Not. I don't have any stories necessarily, but I've listened to you guys talk a lot, and clearly the best song is "When Doves Cry" because it was oh, in every '80s movie that was wonderful. So. If any of you think that When Doves Cry is not his best tune, I think you're very misguided. So that's my Prince rant. I'm, I'm with you. I take When Doves Cry for Purple Rain any day of the week. Purple mm -hmm. Rain is too long, man. Get over yourself, Prince. Look, yeah. we just played this the other day when Prince is singing Purple Rain at the Super Bowl halftime show and it starts raining. That is an act of God and that is by far the greatest Prince story of all time. That's not bad. <laughs> Katie, the next P is pride. What's your biggest source of pride? So I, um, my biggest source of pride is really, I, I care a lot about the human race and that's kind of why I care about respondents in surveys. Um, I really try and understand individual people's motivations. Um, and it's really important to me as a manager um, that my team feels supported. They feel mentored. Um, and that we take care of them, right? So I'm really lucky that since um, we're allowed to be the um, kind of really allowed to take care of our our team. So I'm allowed to just kind of you know, give them pedicures, manicures, massages, tickets to the football if they're doing an amazing job. Um, so it gives me a lot of pride to see my it. team grow. A lot of my old team, even from the UK, sometimes will still text me their sales numbers if they're doing well that month. Um, we always bring <laughs> a smile to my face. Um, That's good. When old team members 
invite me to their weddings. It kind of gives me a huge sense of pride. Um, and like I'm a member that. of Women in Research, and I'm one of the mentors. And I actually bumped into my mentee this week um, at CRC, and I'd helped her get prepared to job hunting after her PhD. I helped her with the interview process. I helped her negotiate a great salary. Um, and it was great to see her representing her company this week. So I get huge pride from kind of taking care of people and understanding human motivations and really developing developing people that, that I work with, alongside. Um, and uh, yeah, that's my pride. I love it. So the next P is perform. So Katie, what is something that people don't know about you? What is like kind of your hidden talent? So when I was young, um, I was kind of much more on the artistic side of, um, of the world. So I was a musician and actor. Really? <laughs> I played quite a few musical instruments. I was in the school orchestra playing the violin. I was in the school rock band playing the keyboard. Um, and I was actually also in two TV documentaries um, about human rights, where I was very lucky to to go to um, the Philippines, Germany, and the UN building in Switzerland as kind of a one of those kind of junior presenters in two different um, documentaries, which was awesome fun. And I will never show them to you because I was 17, <laughs> and they're very embarrassing. Oh, we're going to find them. Sure. <laughs> Um, so the last one is people, and this is usually do our Mount Rushmore. Um, we're going to talk about vacations. So Katie, what are your top four vacation spots? Okay. So being a European where I used to get a lot of PTO, I've had a lot of amazing vacations. So I've been very lucky. Um, and I like throwing myself into kind of crazy places, crazy countries. Um, so top four, number one would be Borneo. I went about seven years ago, took a, I was still in Europe, so I took a two-week vacation to Borneo, Jeez. climbed a mountain, <laughs> took two days, I went caving, I saw orangutans, I saw um, all sorts of kind of wildlife, um, snorkeling, etc. So Borneo is very underrated. It's just there in Malaysia, if anyone doesn't know where it is. Highly, highly recommend Next up would be Cambodia. I went to Cambodia at Christmas, spent Christmas Day in Cambodia this year. Um, again, I just end up, I just seem to have like just booked long flights and hotels and just get ready, <laughs> just get myself ready for it. So I went to Cambodia. Um, I love looking at all the kind of the ancient cultures. I went to Siem Reap um, to see Angkor Wat and watched the sunrise over Angkor Wat, which was incredible and um, learned a lot about a very, very different culture. Same again, Rwanda I went to probably about four or five years ago now. Um, again, totally different cultural experience. Um, kind of threw myself into it, rented a car, drove across the country, went to see um, the chimpanzees and, and kind of really learn about um, that country's history and watch it develop and watch it change um, over over kind of the time since the genocide in 1994 up until today. And it's, it's a country that's doing fantastic things and, and really growing. Um, and I'd be, you know, it'd be a great miss for me to say that England isn't my one, number one, uh, also vacation spot. Um, I'm from Plymouth originally, which is in the Southwest coastline. People always talk about London when they think of England, but England right. is beautiful. The countryside in the middle of the country is amazing. The coastline is phenomenal. It's very much like Big Sur. Um, the beaches are fantastic and, uh, yeah, there's no, no place like home. Jeez. 
Those are great vacations. You can you compete with that, Brian? I, I, normally, this is when I say that your list is garbage and give out different, but I, it's hard to do in this one, <laughs> so, especially considering her the rationale for her trips. Very altruistic. Um, but I will give you. I'm going to give you my top four cities in Europe. How about that? That I've been to. I in my thirties traveled a lot to Europe. So here's my top four. Number one, Paris. You're probably mad at me already for picking Paris. No, I love Paris. I oh. love Paris. I'm a rare British person that absolutely adores Paris and thinks it's, it's sort of wonderful to do. Good. We're not we're not fighting then because I love mm-hmm. Paris. I think the people are nice. There's so much to do. I love the boulevards. I love the food. I love the people. So much to do. It's amazing. Number two, I'm going to put London. Um, it's an obvious choice. We don't have to go into that. Number three, I'm going to pick Budapest. I didn't think I would like Budapest, but it was amazing, and I wish I could go back sometime. Um, a lot to do. People were nice there as well. Um, it's just to, for me, at least as an American, that was very Eastern European to me, even though it may not even be considered Eastern European, but it was amazing. And the number four is Vienna, kind of for the same reason. That was so much bigger than I expected it to be, and so much, so much to do there. So those are my top four Europe vacations. Adam Jolly, thoughts? I have no thoughts. Some people that work in sales don't have time to take vacations because they're too busy servicing their clients. Oh, God. I got nothing. Completely, got, just completely agree. I, uh, <laughs> I'm lucky that I was in Europe, I so vacations. I used to be able to take PTO and since we the U.S. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on. Um, is there any way, anything you want to plug, any conferences you're coming, you're going to that you want to plug? Yeah, next week we're going to be at CMRE. Um, so Mike Mizell is speaking with a client of ours about how we've helped them gain efficiencies in their sample supply chain. Um, and you can find me also at Sint underscore Katie on Twitter. I yeah. personally don't tweet, so I'm there, right there with you, Brian. I'm not a tweeter, um, but we're very lucky to have a great marketing department that automates our tweets. And so at Sint underscore Katie, you'll find all of the Sint news. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Katie, for coming on, and uh, we'll see you on the road here soon. Thanks, Thank Katie. you so much, guys. Bye-bye. So that's when I tell him, no, no, sir, I'm the chicken master on these parts. Oh, my gosh, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed those interviews with Andrew and Katie, two of our best ones that we had this year. Um, and we please invite you to give us any type of feedback. You know what? Review us. Give us your scores on Yelp. iTunes. Yeah. Help us. Yeah. Help me. Yeah, or write somebody that's making a list of top market research podcasts for the year and write yeah. it and say, hey, what about EMI? What about those guys? Demand it. What about the first podcast? Yeah, the I original. Think, I don't know if we are. I think we are. We're close enough to be called the original. It's at least up for discussion. Yes. And as always, you can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com, EMI underscore research on Twitter, IntelliCast1 on Twitter, Adam Jolly all one word on Twitter. Brian, what are your New Year's Eve plans? New Year's Eve. Well, my New Year's Eve, I'm not sure when the playoff games are this year. December 29th. Okay, so not on New Year's Eve. And then the 8th okay. of January. So typically what I love to do is avoid all of the all of the shenanigans and buy like a really good steak. Like yeah. Maybe we're going to buy some prime rib or something sure. and just sit at home and eat some prime rib and hang out with the family and be in bed by about 10. Watch some, nice. Then watch some ball games on New Year's Day. That's that's, that's a really good day for me. That's a really good day. But that's um, boring. What am I doing for New Year's? Eh, probably going to go to sleep before the ball drops. Yeah. Wake up the next morning. Oh, my gosh. It's New Year. Amateur hour. Yeah, what is this? Amateur hour? <laughs> you celebrate a new year? Guess what? I've had 36 of them. 
And I do it for you, and I do it for the guy. We got to rest up for episode yeah. one, 2019. Yeah, I'm already planning on next year. I do it for the guy working in a phone center. That's just dialing, smiling, and dialing, trying to get it, interviews. I do it for the data processors and the coders and the data entry people. I do it. Uh, I do it for the mall walkers working at Heakin outside of Coral Gables, Florida. I do it for the door-to-door people in Brazil and India and China yeah. doing sniff tests and product tests door-to-door. There's a methodology behind that that wouldn't surprise you. I do it for the Internet Cafe in Cairo. Just trying to get people in Egypt to take some kind of representative quantitative online survey. Yeah. I do it for the social media manager at ResearchNow and Lucid and SSI. They got a work to do. I'm doing it for them. Listen to some podcasts while you're doing that. That's all. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Have a good rest of your year. And we'll see you in 2019. And we're coming on fire. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.